Hey, Bri here. Today we're talking about preventing workers' comp lawsuits. Did you know that there are actually steps that you can put in place today to prevent a lawsuit months from now? Let's get to it. This is Safety Bri, your number one safety geek. Why do we have the behaviors that we do? Superheroes in the workplace, right? All of those things that go into making you an effective safety manager. I love what we do. Motivation, learning, teaching, training, teamwork. I geek out over that just as much as I do safety. Hello, 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 and welcome to this episode of The Safety Geek. I am so glad that you've decided to join me here today. My name is Bri, your number one safety geek, and today we are talking about preventing lawsuits, specifically workers' comp lawsuits. Now, I have been a safety professional for nearly 20 years, and I have had my fair share of depositions, my fair share of injury trials, and dealing with legal action and all of that good stuff. And I have worked for employers where it was just a given. Every injury, there was a lawsuit, but I've also worked for employers where we only had a lawsuit maybe every three years. And what I've realized over the years is there are steps that you can take that are going to prevent lawsuits from happening, but you have to take them long before the injury happens. So you have to be very proactive if you want to avoid lawsuits. And the reason why we want to avoid them is they are expensive. I mean, the only person that benefits from a workers' comp lawsuit is generally the lawyer. You get me, right? They get their 40% cut and the poor employee, he ends up with what he would have got whether or not they, they filed a lawsuit or not most of the time. Now, some lawsuits you're never going to be able to prevent, uh, especially if it is a severe lawsuit where or a severe injury where they may never return to work again. So I had a case this one time where unfortunately the employee ended up a quadriplegic. Of course they were going to get legal action on that because they have to make sure that they're protecting their rights. So in those cases, you can't really fault the employee for hiring legal counsel. I actually even had a case one time where I was helping the employee try to get treatment. He had a torn rotator cuff And we were trying to treat it, and the insurance company was just battling him at every turn. Even with me on the other side saying, this needs to be done, they just refused and over and over again. And even in that case, I was like, I don't fault him whatsoever for hiring an attorney because his rights were getting stompled on, basically. So there are cases where legal action is definitely warranted. But what I'm talking about today is when you have a lot of legal action on those smaller claims. So let's say that somebody gets a herniated disc, or maybe they tore a rotator cuff, or they tore something in their knee, or they sprained their ankle really bad. And they're going to get treatment anyway under the workers' comp system, but then they also go out and they hire legal counsel, thinking that that's just the way to go. So those are the ones that I'm talking about. And if you're actually seeing a lot of those within your workplace, that is a signal that you have an issue with the culture at your facility. So definitely keep watching the Safety Geek because, and keep listening to the Safety Geek because that is what we talk about here is how to change that culture. So before we get started today, I have six steps that you could take to prevent lawsuits at your workplace. So before we get started, I want to talk about why these lawsuits happen in the first place. So I want you to put yourself into your employee's shoes and think about why would they even go about hiring an attorney in the first place. And the first one is 
there's a poor relationship between the employer and the employee. So if you're working for a company where you just don't care about the company, you don't care about their goals, you're just there for the paycheck and the supervisors, the managers, they don't really show any interest in you either. There is no friendly relationship in there. Then that employee has nothing to lose than to hire when they hire an attorney. Because during an injury, if an employee hires an attorney, generally they're going to lose their job through either voluntary resignation in the settlement, or the employer will figure out some way that they can't meet the, their new permanent restrictions and then terminate their employment. One way or another, it's generally how I'm seeing it happen. So if there is this poor relationship between the two of them and that employee has nothing to lose, then why wouldn't they, right? But if you can put that on the flip side and, and say, wait a minute, they want to keep their job, then they're less likely to hire that attorney. The second reason is distrust in the workers' comp system. So just like my employee where they just were not getting the treatment that they needed, that could be part of it. Maybe they have seen them, maybe they've had a previous poor experience or they've seen somebody in their family have a poor experience. Then that creates distrust in the, in the workers' comp insurance system. So then they feel like they need protection in order to get treated the way that they should, get the treatment and, and get back to being a whole person like they think that they should. Number three could be resentment towards the employer for their negligence. So if there was something in the facility that was a known hazard and the employer was not doing anything to uh, mitigate that hazard and then they were injured because of it, that creates resentment. So this is why you need to have like a really good safety program and that you're identifying all those hazards and you're eliminating them because you don't want to have anybody feeling like you were negligent because they will immediately want to get legal counsel. And then that actually increases the cost of your claim too, because in some states you can get a separate settlement for negligence. And the last one is a disagreement with their medical treatment. So if you and the insurance company are saying, no, you don't need to go get this surgery, you just need to have PT, but the employee is thinking they need surgery, which this actually happened in my case where I was in an accident and I think, thought I needed surgery and my insurance company didn't think that I did. And I actually had to hire legal counsel to get that worked out. So sometimes that is the case. That was an auto liability accident, not a worker's comp, but that's the case too. So that's why you want to make sure that you are knowing about any disagreements in medical treatment right away. So those are the four main reasons why I see employees file lawsuits. And I would look back into your legal history and kind of put yourself in that employee's shoes and say, why did they hire an attorney? And you can actually ask the employee that too, especially if the claim is done and gone and settled. Just go to them, say, hey, I'm doing some research. Can you tell me why you hired an, an attorney? And that can give you some insight so that way you could put steps in place to prevent it in the future. All right, number one, the first step that you can take to prevent lawsuits from happening is to make sure that your supervisors and your managers are creating a positive relationship with that employee. That means that they treat them like human beings, right? They, and like friends, because 
if they're friends with their supervisors or friendly, we don't want them to be best buds or anything, but if they're friendly with their supervisors and their managers, they're less likely to sue. They're less likely to get legal counsel because friends don't sue friends. I mean, there's then this open dialogue between everybody where they feel comfortable voicing their concerns. So that way you can address them right away. So make sure that your supervisors and managers are chatting with their employees regularly about non-work related things. How's the family? What are your hobbies? Um, how was your weekend? What sports are you into? All of those types of things that creates a positive relationship between the management team and the employees. And it, and when you're asking questions about that employee, you're actually showing that you care about them and it increases that empathy and increases all the positive feelings that they feel about the work. So that is step one, create that positive, have your supervisors create that positive relationship. And I believe I get into this further on, but you can have the positive relationship with the employees all day long, but that's not going to prevent the lawsuit. Because if they feel good about you, but they feel awful about their supervisor, they don't think they're suing you. They think they're suing the company. So they're still more likely to file that lawsuit. So you want to make sure that that positive relationship is with the management team, their department manager, their supervisor, and themselves. You should also have a positive relationship with them, but it's not as effective as when it comes from the supervisor. All right, number two you want to increase your employee engagement. And we did do a post on this recently. I will link to it somewhere, either in this video or in the show notes. So what employee engagement is, I'm not gonna get too far into it because that post did have like seven different steps. But what employee engagement is, is where that employee has the same goals as the company. Like there's pride in their work and they want to help the company meet their goals. So if you think about it, if you have that much attachment to your work, you would not want to leave that job. You would not want to do anything that would risk that job. Because even though there are other jobs out there, that is most of the time people will stay within their work because they like where they're working and they like the people that they work with. So if you can get them to have that feeling about your work, they're less likely to file the lawsuit, especially once they find out that voluntary resignation is going to be part of this settlement. And that is something, that is another prevention tool. I don't have that on my list of six, but generally your defense counsel will have that. They will say that in order for the employee to settle their claim, they have to have voluntary resignation. They can continue working if they don't settle, right? They just go through the paces, but generally that's what you'll see. So that's a deterrent too, but that's kind of like a reactive deterrent, not a proactive one. Number three, enforce your policies consistently. I cannot stress this enough. So when I go into facilities and I'm doing audits, a lot of times what I'll see is during the accident, they found that the employee wasn't following the procedures, so then they write the employee up. And then when I actually look at it further and say, how many times has an employee not followed this procedure and not been injured? And then when I look at those, I go, did you write them up? And they didn't. So they're only getting written up if they're injured. So this creates an inconsistency in your policy enforcement, which ends up creating like feeling of unfairness. Maybe you're showing favoritism to some people because of it. And it just 
increases discrimination and all of that good stuff. So you need to enforce your policies consistently. And I do have a podcast about accountability. So I would definitely recommend checking that out. But if you could be consistent where you're, where you are applying your disciplinary action, regardless of the results, you're going to, you're going to reduce the chance of a lawsuit because if you're just only writing them up, suspending them, terminating them, if they get injured, you're sending the message that you can violate the safety policies all day long, but just don't get injured from it. The results should not affect the discipline. The behavior is what you're disciplining, not the result. Okay, number four, we talked about building relationships with the employees. The second relationship you need to build is with your occupational health provider. So that is number four, build a positive relationship with your occupational health provider. You should have one office that all of your injured employees are going to so that you're working with just one main office. If they have different branches, that's fine, but I still like to use just like one main office that everybody goes to if possible. Um, I've had locations like spread out and we just use like a chain within that group too. That works as well. But you want to have a positive relationship with that occupational health provider, know their processes, know the people that work there, get to know the doctor. So not only does that help you with your injuries, but if your employee comes to you and they're not happy with the treatment, which is one of the reasons why they would be filing a lawsuit, you know who to call, you know what to do. And because you already have that relationship, you can talk to that doctor's office and say, hey, we're having some trouble. Um, so make sure that you're doing that. And, and when you have that really good relationship with your occupational health, they tend to treat the employees better too. Because you're, especially if you're just going to one office, and if you're using that one office for everything, you're a big part of their bottom line <laughs> and of their profits. So they're going to want to keep you happy so that you keep sending people there. So that is number four, which is have a positive relationship with your occupational health. Number five, we're getting down there. We got two left to go. Number five is follow up with your employee following every single doctor's visit. So these are the injuries. So like if an injury just is one doctor's visit, they're never going to file a lawsuit because no lawyer would take it. It's when they have those consistent doctor's visits that there's a chance that they're going to eventually give in to those commercials and their family influence and all of that good stuff. And hire an attorney. So what you want to do is make sure that they have a good feeling about you, the company, the work, the medical provider following every doctor's visit. So you should be well aware of when your employees are going for follow-ups. And when they come back to work, the first thing they should be doing is turning the paperwork into you. So that way you can file it and make sure everybody has it. But then sit down with them and ask them, how did the appointment go? Are you happy with your treatment? Is there anything I can help you with? How are things going at home? And this is a key. A lot of safety managers don't like to talk about the employee's home life, but injuries at work affect their home life. Maybe they're not able to drive their kids to school or go pick up groceries or do chores around the house. You should know that because then you can maybe grab a team at work and help them out. So if you're helping your employees during the injury in that way, they are less likely to file a lawsuit. <laughs> All right, so getting on to our last one, which is number six, have the manager or supervisor check on them on a regular basis. Now, this applies to both people working within your facility on light duty and people that are off work on a no work status, more so on the no work status, right? But let's talk about the light duty people. 
So if they're working light duty, they turn their paperwork into you, you have that little conversation with them. That supervisor that they're reporting to should check them too. Every so often they should just go to them and say, hey, how's everything going? How's your treatment going? Are you happy with everything? You know, how's the family? All that same thing. The supervisor and the manager should be checking in with them regularly too. Now, if they are on a no work status, you have an issue here. They are separated from you. You don't know what they're doing. They're at home doing, you know, God knows what, probably watching those commercials from lawyers over and over again, right? And they're starting, and the longer that they're off work, they're starting to feel a disconnect between work and home. And they may feel like they're never going to come back. So you have to build that engagement with them, even when they're sitting at home. And when I say you, I don't actually mean you. I mean your supervisors and your managers. It has to come from them. It can't come from you. So there are things that you can do with a person that is stuck on a no work status. And generally, this is what I see, is someone is severely injured. Let's say that they had an injury so bad their leg got amputated, right? That first week or two, they're getting lots of visitors. Everyone's checking in on them. They're getting flowers. They're getting chocolates. They're getting all that good stuff. They get cards signed from everybody. And then it's crickets because everybody forgets about them because life goes on. We have widgets to make, right? So what you need to do is set up a process where you are regularly checking in with them, sending them a card, a text, an email. And when I say you, I do mean the supervisors. So you need to make it so that way your supervisors are doing these things. Getting on the phone with them every week, every 10 days, and just talking and catching them up on the workplace gossip. Maybe inviting them to lunch in the cafeteria one day a week. Whatever, you want to increase their engagement in work and let them know that you are excited to have them come back to work. You know, so if they know that there is light at the end of their tunnel, they are less likely to hire an attorney. Now, granted, if it's an amputation, they're probably going to hire an attorney. But let's say that they were laid up with a herniated disc because they just had back surgery. You know they're coming back to work. So keep them engaged with the work by checking in with them regularly. And it's a friendly chat. It's, you know, hey, this person did this or this person did that. And then maybe go visit them every so often. Do what you would do for a friend. Treat them like a friend and they will treat you like a friend and friends don't sue friends. <laughs> okay, my friend, don't sue me either. So anyway, okay, my friend, those are the six steps that you should be taking to prevent workers' comp lawsuits. I said that they were all proactive, but that last one, now that I'm saying it out loud, is actually kind of reactive, but you can put the processes in place ahead of time. And what's so good about that last one is that when you're doing that for the injured worker, everybody else who works at the company is seeing you do it. And it increases engagement with them for your company. So anyway, remember, it has to come from your management team, not you. And this is where I want you to put them in, put, it, put yourself in their shoes. Let's say that you, as the safety manager, were walking around and got hit by a forklift and you were laid up on a no work status. And the only person you heard from was the HR manager or somebody from the HR team. That's why it has to come. Do you, do you see that feeling? You see a feeling that you get? Like the only person checking on me is HR. They're just looking to cover their back. But what if you were in that same situation and your supervisor called you or your manager called you? That's why it's so important that it comes from them and not from you. So keep that in mind. I kind of like that analogy because you don't want them to feel abandoned. That's, that's the big thing. 
Okay, my safety friend, thank you so much for sticking with me through this episode. And I hope that you put some of these six items to use. I want you to pick one of them and start putting it in place and hop on over to the show notes for this episode. There's a link in the description and leave me a comment and tell me how it went for you and what you've been doing to help prevent your workers' comp lawsuits. And in the meantime, have an amazing and safe day and I will chat with you next week. Bye-bye. You know what? I have a hunch that you have a BSF, a best safety friend who would love to know about this show. Well, don't keep it to yourself. Sharing is caring. Stop what you're doing right now and forward this show to them. They will thank you. And don't forget to check out the show notes and links for this week's episode at thesafetygeek.com.